You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Oh man, uh, I during worship, I began to be stirred by the Holy Spirit for people who are in a uh, particularly crushing moment. If you if you feel that in your life you are stuck between a rock and a hard place right now, um, put your hand down. All right, everybody in here, good job. Um, but seriously, I I was thinking of this passage in in Luke chapter twelve. Uh, Jesus sits down to eat a meal with some of his friends, and there's some Pharisees there and. The Pharisees begin judging Jesus because he uh, failed to um, wash his hands and feet before he sat down for a meal, which was against the rules. It was against the religious rules of the time. And uh, these Pharisees begin openly disdaining him. And so he does this very interesting thing where he starts saying, woe unto you. And he lists a few things that the Pharisees are it seems like they're doing things well, but the reality is their hearts are not doing well before the Lord. And he's pronouncing these woes upon these Pharisees. And there are some lawyers in the room too. And one of the lawyers turns to Jesus and says, hey man, when you say these things out loud, you're not just offending them, but you're offending us too. And, and Jesus said this, he said, You experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. And I, that passage was just struck me during worship. And I, and I had this thought um, that we should pray together right now for each other because because God actually cares that folks that are carrying difficult burdens in their life have those burdens carried by other people. He actually wants us to lift a hand to help the people around us who are walking through hard places. Okay, and I think one of the best ways aside from all the practical things that we can do to help each other is to pray for each other. You know, I am a big believer in doing practical things to help people through difficult times. But don't you know that sometimes there is help that is not available to us except through the power of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God answers our prayers. We believe that he hears our cries. So, I don't know how to do this really because we're in the time of COVID and we're supposed to be social distancing, but maybe you could just touch somebody near you, just lay hands on somebody near you. And then you can agree with me in this prayer and just, just believe by faith that God is lifting burdens in this room right now. Holy spirit, we honor you. We thank you that your presence is here right now with us. We're not looking to the future when you will be coming someday. 
we are enjoying you here and now. We thank you that your presence heals, your presence restores, your presence delivers folks during and through difficult times. And Father, answers don't always appear like we hope they will, when we hope they will, but we are confident and persuaded that nothing shall separate us from your love. Nothing, no height, no depth, no power, no principality shall ever separate us from your love. And we ask right now for every person in this room who feels the need, who are aware of a need in their life to be empowered by your love, we pray that you give that to them right now, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the mighty matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Okay. So today my message is called Trust in Troubling Times. I feel like I am repeating myself a lot of times when I preach, but I can't get past certain themes in my life. I've been working on figuring things out with the Lord in my life, and that's really all anybody has to give. You can only give away what you've received. And I feel like I've received from some things uh, from the Lord that have to do with, well, the amount of trouble that we face in this life, okay? So we're going to take a look at that, and hopefully this will be encouraging to you. It may be discouraging to you at first, but I find that that's how the gospel works. A lot of times it starts out as bad news. It, it discomforts us, it discomforts us, it, it troubles us, but Jesus is always leading us to the good news that his kingdom has come. Amen. So if you have your Bible, you want to follow along. I think we have these scriptures, but we're going to start out with a few scriptures and I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to give you any context to start. First one is found in Job 5, 7. It goes like this. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. You ever sat around a campfire, put, put a log on the fire? Where did the sparks go? Every single time they fly up, right? Job noticed this, that just like sparks go up where word, that's how trouble is. It's inevitable. It just happens in the life of a person, okay? And then Job, Job 14, verse 1 says this, man that is born of woman, or you could say everyone who is born of a woman, this includes us all, has few, is few of days and they are full of trouble, all right? This is Job's observation. If you know the story of Job, his life had a lot more trouble than either you or I. Okay, so then we're going to jump forward into the New Testament. And Jesus is kind of saying the same thing that Job has said. All right, Jesus says this. It's like a promise. Have you ever gone through the Bible looking for promises that you can just hold on to? Well, well here's one. Jesus said this. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I love that, all right? Okay, one more scripture. I know we're scripture heavy. I'm trying to give you some context for what I'm about to jump into with you here. This is kind of a weird verse. I haven't actually heard very many sermons preached upon this verse. I've actually been chewing through this for quite a while. There are some historical contexts of this thing that I'm about to read. I am not gonna give you the interpretation of the historical context I'm actually going to give you a philosophical interpretation of this text, okay? It goes like this. 
Luke chapter 13, verses one through five. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Okay, so here's what happened. There were two events that were current events while Jesus was going from Galilee to Jerusalem. The ruler in charge of Palestine at that time was a man named Pilate. You've heard of him in the Easter story. He's the one who ultimately brought down the order to crucify Jesus. But in this moment, he was causing trouble for the Jews at the time. And he randomly goes into the church while people are worshiping and he slaughters a bunch of people. Very disturbing, very troubling. It was a bad moment. People are reporting this to Jesus hoping to keep him from going into Jerusalem. But Jesus answers this. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the other others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish, okay? Jesus is, is, he's actually giving an eschatological lesson here. We're not gonna go into that today, but I want to point your attention to this. Trouble is random. This is a description of the way trouble works in the world, all right? We see some faulty infrastructure. There's a tower in Siloam. It has fallen and the people that it fell on were not necessarily people who you might think would deserve a tower to fall on them. Jesus is saying, listen, things happen in life and there is no explanation for them. He's actually agreeing with Job and he's agreeing with himself later on in John chapter 16. So each of these passages give us the Lord's version of what life on earth currently looks like. He's not in despair, but he's definitely sober. In the Luke passage, we are witnesses to the randomness of suffering. In the John passage, Jesus uses plain language. In the world, you will have trouble, all right? If I locate myself in this Luke passage if I'm a family relation to one of these people who died in this tower, I'm asking myself all kinds of questions. Were these people being punished? Were they bad? Were they guilty of some great sin? Jesus's answer is no. He says, do not imagine for one second that difficulties happen to some people because they are bad people. All right, are you with me so far? Okay, so all of the, all of the lessons that we can learn from this passage in Luke especially, one thing we can certainly take away is that the unpredictability of life is normal. It is not the exception. Life is unpredictable. That is normal. It is not the exception. Infrastructures fail. Kings commit atrocities viruses wreak havoc. Life is unpredictable. Or you could say life is predictably unpredictable. Life is unpredictable and stuff happens in life that doesn't make sense. So I've actually spent the last couple of years of my life 
working through the parts of my life that I have found to be overly troublesome and completely mysterious? Do you have any situations or circumstances in your life that are mysterious that you haven't been able to figure out? You haven't found the key to solving those problems in your life? Do you know what I'm talking about or am I the only one? Okay, so here's an interesting dynamic. I've, I've figured this out. As somebody who over the course of my life, I've been actively following Jesus, there have been times in my life where I have perfectly understood the Lord. I have perfectly understood him. I have had times where the Lord has allowed me to experience entire seasons of my life where my life has made perfect sense. Seasons where my life made sense and God made sense. Have you ever had that season? It is so wonderful. It's like the best life. You could also say that I could make sense of life with the belief system that I had. I was able to live life where my ideas about God were able to explain back to me what was happening in my life. But how many of you know this? How many of you know that your ideas about God are not God? Have you ever thought of that before? That the thoughts that you have about God are not God himself. All right? And sometimes what I think about God is the thing that is keeping me from experiencing a new and better understanding of who God actually is. So God in his wisdom and grace allows my belief system, allows my ideas about him to be confronted with reality. And the reality is that life is dynamic. Life is unpredictable. Life rarely stays the same. Things happen to us that we cannot predict. Seasons change and trouble comes just like Jesus said that they would. And yet I am constantly shocked. So here's the thing. Sometimes ideas that we had about God that worked well for us in making sense of our life in one season are suddenly incapable of making sense of our life in our current season. Have you ever experienced that dynamic shift And we find that we are all of a sudden in a place where we do not understand what the heck is going on. We were once in a place of understanding, but now we find ourselves in a place of not understanding. We have a lack of understanding. Do you know what I'm talking about? But... Here's the thing. Did you know, did you know that once you understand God, there is only one place for you to go after that? Once you are in a place where you understand all that there is to know about God, the only place left for him to lead you is the place of misunderstanding. 
The only place, once you're in the place of understanding God, the only place left for you to go is the place of not understanding. The only place left for you to grow is in the place of not understanding. Some of you have, have, you have been through years. You've been through years of wondering, years of not being exactly sure of what is going on, years of remembering how much sense life used to make when God was someone you easily understood. But I want to tell you that the long understanding, the long season of you not understanding is not a problem. It is actually a gift from God to you. The season of misunderstanding God, of not understanding God, of your life not making sense with the, the ideas that you formerly held, this is felt like a problem. Maybe you've even felt guilty about feeling empty and weak. Maybe you felt even guilty of not having an understanding of the way life is currently working. This is actually not a problem to you. It is actually a gift from God to you, although it might feel like the exact opposite. Because if you understand God perfectly, there is no place left to go. There is no place left to go. Grow. By his spirit, he allows you the great discovery of finding yourself in the wide open fields of misunderstanding. He leads you to a place where the way God worked back then is not the way he is working now. He leads you to a place where when you think he should and will do something, he only answers you with the opposite of what you thought he should do or would do. But this is the gift of God to you that you would find out that he is absolutely faithful and good, even when nothing is as you think it should be. In the world, you will have trouble, and God is faithful and not predictable. In the world, you will have trouble, and God is faithful and will not help you in a predictable way. In the world, you will have trouble and God is absolutely, utterly, brilliantly faithful and he hardly ever comes through the way you think that he will. God is always faithful, but he is never predictable. Do not expect God to do the same thing every time. The only thing that God does over and over and over is that he consistently refuses to live in the boxes and ideas that we try to put him in. He actively resists our predictions of him. You know, when you start making assumptions about what God should do, you start building your life around the things that you think he is about to do or is going to do, that's in a way Pride and God actively resists pride. He actively resists the proud. 
The only thing that we can really predict about God is that he is unpredictable. He is absolutely trustworthy. He is altogether faithful, but he is working at a different task than we are. And his aim is true. God's aim is true. He is building into us the character of Jesus and the fruits of the spirit. And that is a long and slow process. And he is not afraid of taking his time. He is not afraid of not keeping our schedule. He is not afraid of disappointing us for a moment. He is not afraid of letting us sit with our questions. He is not afraid of any bad publicity he might get. He is absolutely committed to his kingdom life being formed in you. That's what God is doing. That is the work of the spirit. And that is the work that the spirit is always at, whether you think he's working or not. The spirit is working in your life in times of trouble and in times of not trouble. In times when you understand, but more so when you don't understand. Your lack of understanding doesn't mean God stopped working. Your lack of understanding is actually the time in your life when God is doing his best work. It's actually the time in your life when the spirit is leading you to the deepest places of your walk with him. And I know a lot of this sounds counterintuitive, but this is biblical. Oftentimes, how he forms His kingdom life in us is that he shows himself. He reveals himself to us as the God who is unpredictable. And we are left mystified and weak. And we wonder why God would lead us here. And here God proves to you that he is unpredictable And even though you think he should have done something else for you, he is proving to you his faithfulness in a way which you never would have imagined otherwise except for in this place. Because it is only when you are in a place where you do not understand that you discover how absolutely faithful God actually is. It is only in the place that mystifies you that God can show himself utterly able to be known by you. It is only when your former strength is no longer available to you that God can be your strength. It is only in the place where all that you predicted would happen did not happen that you can discover the depth and utter faithfulness of your God. Here's the thing, church, you can live your life the way that you want, all right? You can do your best to create order out of chaos. You should. You should make good decisions. You should make good choices with your life. You should be wise. You should sow wisely. You should invest in your life and in the lives of the people around you. You should dream a little, dream a little dream. But not everything that happens in this life is within your control. There is so much in your life that is totally outside of your control. I would say most of your life 
is outside of your control. There are parts that you are responsible for. There are parts of your life that you are accountable to. Be faithful in those areas, but you must also recognize there are parts that are way outside the power of your hand to change. And it is actually very healthy to remember that disciples of Jesus are not primarily called to be controllers of circumstances. We are called to be disciples of Jesus, Jesus, no matter where he leads us, no matter where he leads us. I feel like I've been in this season of my life where this, this is kind of like this, these words I'm giving you this morning is kind of a reconciliation of where I've been in my life. I've had seasons of, of, of great understanding and I've had like, just a season of mystification where God doesn't add up the way that he once did. And I began calling into question his faithfulness and the Lord just began to speak to me that I could not measure his faithfulness based upon whether I'm disappointed or not. That that actually wasn't a biblical standard of God's faithfulness and goodness. And I had to begin to recalibrate the way I was thinking about him working in my life because I was actually feeling guilty for him not moving or looking the way he used to move and look. And so I began to look backwards all the time at the glory days of the past or I began to look at the glory in the future. Oh, God's coming someday. God's coming soon. Someday he's going to do something really great. And all the while I've been missing who he is in this present moment right now. And God is not faithful back there and God is not faithful out there. He's faithful now or he's not faithful. He's faithful now or he's not faithful at all. And sometimes we assign lack of faithfulness to God based upon the way our life looks currently. And that is a wrong way to judge the faithfulness of God. In fact, if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a difficult place, if you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, if you're in a place of great unpredictability in your life with knowing who God is, I would say to you that that is the very place that God will show himself to you in a way that you could have never known otherwise. So I've stopped feeling guilty. I've stopped feeling guilty about the way things are compared to the way things were. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's just this low-grade fever of being disappointed all the time with the way your life turned out. That's the devil. That is the devil. I have gone through so many difficulties in my life. And, and, and like you, this, this year has been so hard on so many people. And so many of us have been wondering, God, where are you? You, you allowed the worst things to happen to us. Where are you? And some of us have gone into the business of judging God incorrectly. We have started questioning his faithfulness and I feel the spirit doing this thing where he's recalibrating, he's redefining to us what faithfulness actually looks like. Because when I read the New Testament, when I read the gospel stories, 
Following Jesus not was not a silver bullet to solving all of your problems. Jesus is not the big problem solver in the sky. In fact, following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus actually costs us something. It means being led into places where the benefit of following Jesus stops coming around. You know, this, this was happening over and over to Jesus. When Jesus would do miracles and he would feed people, guess what? There were always crowds with him. And once people started having to uh, testify that they knew Jesus Everybody started scattering. When times got difficult, he was manifesting as an unsuccessful Messiah. While Jesus was proving to be the most faithful Messiah the universe has ever seen, all of the people around him were judging him as being unfaithful and unsuccessful. When God was doing his best work in the gospel story, everybody that was near him was saying, God has left the room. When Jesus' suffering, passion was happening on the cross, his closest disciples were missing the point, And they were saying, where is God? Where is the move of God? Where is the glory of God that we once knew? Where are the miracles? Where is the Shekinah glory? Where is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And all the while, Jesus was doing the most glorious thing in the history of the universe. And people could not see it because with our eyes, we're looking at our lives with, with the immediate benefit of what God can do for us. And so sometimes a bill doesn't get paid or sometimes we wake up and we're sick or sometimes something's going on with one of our kids or sometimes our church isn't exactly the way that we want it to be or sometimes the worship team isn't singing the songs that we want them to sing or sometimes the pastor didn't call us on a Thursday afternoon to check in on us or sometimes our spouse is more of an idiot than he normally is or you know what I'm saying, like all of the things that we We count against God. All of the difficulties that are happening in our lives are not meant to disprove God, but are meant to create the kingdom character of Jesus in your heart because you don't need patience if you have it. You need patience when you don't have it. And you cannot get to patience if you're not in a situation that doesn't demand it. We are called to be disciples of Jesus no matter where he leads. I don't know why I ever thought this, but I thought that following Jesus would be easy and I was going to make, he was going to make my problems go away. The gospel's main testimony is that Jesus' disciples were constantly mystified by him and let down by him because his agenda was never the same as their agenda. You know what? I bet this. I know this is true for me, but I bet for the most part, What Jesus is doing is different than what you're doing. That the Spirit's main agenda in the world, in your life, in the lives of the people around you might not be exactly what your agenda is. Do you know, I mean, are you picking up what I'm laying down? So it's very costly to follow Jesus 
one of the costs of following Jesus is that you have to give up the idea that God is only in your life as a problem solver and a dream fulfiller. Do you, do you have, do you have the God in your hand that you understand that you pray prayers to him and he solves all your problems and he fulfills all your dreams next week? Is that the God that you serve? Cause that's predictable. That's the predictable God. That's the God that we can understand. God, I say words to you and you and your power, you wield your power to make my desires and dreams come true. And then we act disappointed when he doesn't respond to those requests. And we sit in wonder and we go, I, I sing songs that God is faithful all the time. And then I just pray these prayers that God would make all my dreams come true. And he did not fulfill them. There must be something wrong with him. But the truth is, church, it's more likely that there's something amiss inside of us. And we might be missing the main point of what the spirit is doing in us. And the spirit is beckoning us to see the value in trouble. When you're going through trouble in your life, when you're going through mysteries, when you're going through things that you don't understand, when you find yourself in the place of misunderstanding that that is the gift of God to you, he is beckoning you into his kingdom life. I can honestly say, I can, I can with, with all honesty say that I have, I have had seasons in my life that I would call golden years. I've had years stacked upon years where my life was so good with God. It was so enjoyable and everything made sense and the days were packed with meaning and there was such an ease and grace. Everything made sense. Have you ever lived in that season before? That is a really great place to live. I hope you have been in that place. It is wonderful. I recommend it. If you can get there, get there. Go find it. I'm serious. There's nothing like having everything in your world work. Okay? And if you had told me then that there were going to be things that I did not know about Jesus, I wouldn't have believed you. There is no possible way. I, I would have thought there's no possible way that things could have been better. I was in the thick of enjoying the goodness of God, all right? I want to say this to you. This is really important that you hear this. Prosperity is wonderful, all right? I am not trying to be poor in my life. Prosperity is wonderful, but it is not everything. Shelly was testifying to this the, uh, the other week, okay? When we have these golden years, when we have fullness, with, when everything is clicking on all cylinders, it is wonderful, but it is not everything. You will have seasons in your life where things are absolutely thriving, spiritually, emotionally, maybe even financially. In all the ways that we measure human thriving, you may have experienced God in those seasons in a deeply profound way. But there are things to discover about the Lord that you can only find out in times of trouble. Did you catch that? You can know God deeply and profoundly in your fruitful season. But there are things that you can find out about God only in times of trouble. And that's why trouble is a gift. 
Because trouble is where we really learn to trust the Lord. Trouble is where we know him in our weakness rather than in our strength. See, in your glory years, in your golden years, when everything makes sense and everything's clicking, how you're relating to God is in your strength. And it's perfectly fine. That's one way of knowing God. But then you go into a season where none of that strength is available to you. And the only way you can relate to God is in your lack of strength. And there are things that you can only know about Jesus when you're experiencing him in your lack of strength. It's where you learn to trust the Lord. Trouble, trouble and suffering are not happening because God is pulling levers to make things happen to teach you lessons. Did you catch that? Trouble does not come to you in this life because God is some puppet master in the sky pulling levers to make things happen so that you finally discover who he really is. That is not who God is. Trouble and suffering are happening as unexplainable realities of life on planet earth. God doesn't cause trouble. God doesn't explain trouble. God redeems trouble. Redemption is a long, slow process. It requires patience. We do not yet have. Patience only comes after we start practicing patience. God doesn't explain trouble. He redeems trouble. The Lord doesn't explain suffering. He robs suffering of its power by making it work together for our good. So I used to think that the Holy Spirit's favorite activity was revival. You you guys, any of you have a grid for revival? Maybe some of us have different definitions of that, but it's like you go to church and it's a big party. The music's really good. People are shouting. People are getting saved, healed, delivered, falling over. There may be a glory cloud. I don't know. That might be weird to some, some of you. Us, us died in the wool Pentecostals know what I'm talking about. Those are really good times. I'm telling you what. I love it. I used to think that the Holy Spirit's favorite thing was revival. I think he may like it, but it's not his main gig. I, I, I'm, I'm serious about this. I used to think revival was the Spirit's main way of making disciples, of making people fall in love with him, of making people understand him, of making people understand that he was close and near, making people aware of him. But that's not true. The Spirit's main gig is leading people between a rock and a hard place. You know what? He does that way more than he does revival. This is interesting. Jesus said, in the world, I promise you, you're going to have trouble. He never once said, in the world, I promise you, you're going to have revival. Now, one time did he say that. He said, in the world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. That doesn't even make trouble better. He's not even saying that your version of whatever trouble you're in is better because Jesus said, I have overcome it. You just know that the trouble is not the end result. 
That's all that you know from that statement. And if you've been hanging your life on some past revival or some future revival, you're missing your moment between the rock and the hard place where the spirit of God is speaking deeply to you about how faithful he actually is. You can trust God. You can trust what is. You can trust that what you have right now is exactly what he gave you. You can trust God that what God has allowed in your life right now is exactly what he meant. Even if what you have right now is something you don't understand, you can trust God right now, even if you think he should have done something else. He is revealing to you that he is unpredictable because it is the place of unpredictability where you really learn to trust your maker. If you could predict him, you would not need to trust him. Do you hear what I just said? If you could predict what God was going to do, you would have no reason to have to trust him. And trust is the only gift that you can actually give to God. There is nothing in your hand that you could give God. Everything that you have, he gave you. Guess what he didn't give you? Any trust that you can give him. Trust is the gift that you have to give to your creator. Trust is the gift that you have to give to your maker. If you could predict him, you would not need to trust him. Folks, I'm closing up. I'm wrapping up. I know some of you are snoozing now. Forgive me. This has been a really good message. I hope you go back and listen to this later on because I realize I have said some things this morning that have caused some just... It's okay. I don't really understand everything I'm saying yet either. All right. We're in this together, yo. We are in this together. The Lord is passionately concerned with unnecessary burdens to be lifted from people. It's like that, that Luke passage. We saw that from Jesus. These lawyers and these Pharisees, they had all of these ideas about how to relate to God. They had the keys to knowledge. And Jesus says, you have withheld the keys of knowledge to, to these people. And now they're walking around totally confused about who, who I am. Because you have withheld the keys of knowledge. But I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit is guiding the body of Christ. But as far as we're concerned, this local body into the incredible understanding of how deep and true God's faithfulness is. Isn't that wonderful news? God did not leave us to our own devices. God did not leave us to ourselves. He is trustworthy. And in this moment is the place that we get to trust him with our actual lives. Not our pretend idealized life out there in the future someday, but in our life right now. So where is patience learned? In a season where patience is needed. Where is contentment learned? In a season of discontent. Where is grace and peace proven? In a place or places that are war torn. 
What is the strength of love? Where is the strength of love truly proven, if not in the most difficult of times and circumstances? Let me close with this. Many of you, many of us, we've been praying for lots of different things. We've all got these prayer requests. We've got dreams that we want to see come true. We've got callings that we want to see fulfilled. We've got these desires, and they're, they're actually good desires. They're things that God has deposited into us. And we've, we've got these prayers that we've, we've been praying, holding these things before the Lord. And it's like sometimes we elevate those things higher than the Lord himself. Sometimes we elevate our coming breakthrough or we value our coming breakthrough higher than Christ himself. And I I would say that sometimes as a people, we get addicted to the idea of breakthrough. But I want to tell you this, church, breakthrough is not your breakthrough. Christ himself is your breakthrough. Christ himself is not in the future. He's here right now in this life with you right here and right now. And and there will be good times. There will be good seasons. There will be prayers answered. I totally believe that. But I am not building my entire life over miracles that may or may not happen someday. I am building my life on the man Christ Jesus. And it's the work of his Holy Spirit that's leading us deeper and deeper into that awareness. Amen? Your breakthrough is not your breakthrough. Christ is your breakthrough. And you already have him. You already have him. Does he have you? Does he have you? Will you follow Jesus when there is no return on investment? I, I do. I think about my life a lot in, in terms of sowing and reaping. I do. I want to be, I want to be a good steward with my time. I want to be a good steward with my energy. I always think about bang for buck. Like if I, if I put my efforts over here, what am I going to get out of it? You know, but it's interesting about those terms because I'm always thinking in those terms of how things are going to work out for me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if he is the Lord of your life and you've subjected yourself to him, sometimes the relationship is not going to be built on terms of how it benefits you. Sometimes the discipleship side of it, the follower side of it is going to be, will you follow me even when it is not benefiting you? Will you trust me to lead you into places that you don't understand where the only thing that you and I have together in this is trust? My mom, my mom is the sweetest little lady. She's a wee wisp of a gal. She's like five feet tall. And she is, I mean, she's complex. She's like us all. She's complex. But she has been praying for me my whole life. 
She, she, nobody knows who she is. She lives on top of a mountain. She never goes out of the house. She's like a hermit. She just prays all the time. She talks to God. It's so annoying. I, I could never live my life that way. But, but she said this thing to my daughter, Savannah, and, and she, she's on the phone with Savannah before Otis is born. And she says the most simple thing, but I, I just wept when I read it. She said, she said, darling, she always calls people darling. Darling, the only thing we have, the only actual thing that we have is our depending on the Lord. It's our depending on the Lord. And here is what I want to leave you with. Measure your life by how much you are, have been forced in your life to depend on the Lord. You don't have to have answers. You don't have to have solutions to follow Jesus. You don't have to have strength. You don't have to have zeal. You don't have to have a good answer for everybody that wants to argue you. You don't have to carry all of the news that's coming down the pike. You don't have to even solve the problems in your own life. The only thing that we are actually really required to is to continually lean on the breast of the Lord. And sometimes we don't know that before we're out of strength. We don't know that when we're full of understanding. We don't know that when we have everything figured out, but we find it out when we find that we don't know much at all, right? So church, this week, Make that your aim. Ask the Lord. Make that your prayer. Lord, let me feel. Let me feel my dependence on you. Let me feel how much I need you. Let me discover your faithfulness in the season that I don't understand. Man, I just feel like it's a relieving work that the Holy Spirit is doing. You know, the the Lord is relieving us of false burdens. We do not have to carry the false burden of revival. We do not have to carry the false burden of having everything figured out in our lives. All we have to do is daily follow the Lord and give ourselves to him. That's so good, isn't it? That's so good. Man, I think that's all I got. Let me just pray for you guys. Let's stand together. Has this blessed anybody today? Okay, good, good. Sometimes I'm not sure. I mean, I I know that once the masks come off, you guys are gonna be shouting Sunday mornings. Like, I just cannot wait. Is it okay if I pray or do you wanna pray? I'll pray. Like, you don't wanna pray. Okay. Oh, then you come up. You come up here and pray. Okay, all right. I like, I like that prayer works. I'm not saying I know how it works, but I do know it works. Yeah. And I like that we don't all have to be perfect people to enter into worship, to enter into prayer, to enter into reading the word of God. We're not waiting for each other to be perfect Christians. We're following Jesus in our imperfect love together. Amen? That's what we're doing, y'all. That's what we're doing.
That's a grace orientation. That is called leaning into the graceful heart of the Lord. All right. Jesus, King Jesus, we thank you that you're the Lord of our lives. We thank you that we are not subject to being our own gods. We are thankful to you that we're not subject to following our own path and our own thought. And we thank, we are thankful that we are not living as islands unto ourselves, but we are deeply rooted in the community of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. We thank you that we are the first fruits, Lord, of your harvest. And I pray that folks would come to see in a greater way that the mystery of their life is exactly where you are. I pray for a a release, a fresh release of grace on folks, a fresh release of peace on folks. Lord, I ask you to lead us into places that where we are falling short in love, where we are immature in love, that you would lead us into places where our love would expand and grow. I pray that we would be kind and gentle to our spouses. I pray that we would be attentive to our wives. We would be attentive to our husbands, that we would be gentle and peaceful to our children, that we would care for our parents, that we would take care of our moms and dads, that we would be faithful friends who would be there in times of need for our friends. We ask, Lord, that you would guard our mouths this week that we would not say stupid stuff on social media. Lord, that we would not judge people who think differently than us. That we would not exact control over people who think differently than us, but that our testimony would be one of love. Our testimony would be one of grace. Our testimony would be the power of the spirit working through our weakness. We ask all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.